So I was eight years old when Grace Church first opened its doors. I had no idea what to expect. Uh, For one thing, my dad was a youth pastor, okay? He had never preached uh, two sermons to adults back to back in his life, okay? He had never, he didn't have that experience. Our sanctuary was an old warehouse with a forklift in the corner. Shoulder pads were still a thing. I mean, that was a fashion choice at the time. To our surprise, more than 600 people showed up that first weekend. I mean, that was wild. And then here's the wilder thing is that dad preached a sermon called, This Church Must Die, and people came back the weekend after that. So I didn't know what was going on. I I had no clue uh, what I was a part of. All I knew is that something really cool was happening. Something was, was different about Grace Church, and I was so proud to be a part of it, even though I was only eight years old. Well, today, nearly 29 years after that first service, I'm still very proud of Grace Church. I love this community and I love what we've come to stand for in this world. And now in a twist that I definitely did not see coming like six or seven years ago, I find myself with the privilege of actually leading this community as its new senior pastor. It's, it's absolutely crazy and it's a huge honor. So I want to say, first of all, thank you to everybody who, who was a part of the long process of, of discerning who the successor to my dad was going to be. Um, I know it wasn't an easy process, um, but thank you for, for the, the long commitment to make sure this was a process done with integrity. Um, I don't have any doubt uh, in, in, in the way that we did this process that, uh, that we discerned what God had in mind. And now I feel extremely called to this place, not just by God, but by you. So thank you. Um, I also want to say thank you for those kind words, campus pastors and all the other folks who have been giving such great encouragement and um, just belief in in my capacity to to lead. Uh, There are days when I wonder and uh, and then I remember that that I have a really great team around me and so I feel I feel encouraged even though yeah this is going to be quite a uh, an interesting challenge. Um, So thank you. Thank you. It's humbling. It is, it is honestly still a little bit hard for me to wrap my mind around. I did not see uh, starting this whole thing out with a global pandemic going on, but here we are, and this is, this is uh, what is in front of us, and I'm very grateful for this opportunity to lead, and I am eager to see what God's going to do with Grace Church in the days ahead. So before we dive into my, my first official sermon as senior pastor, can I pray for us? Let's pray. Father God, thank you. Thank you for Grace Church, for the journey that we have been on for these many years. Thank you for the way that you have shaped us into who we are today as a community. I am so grateful for the privilege to be able to be in this position. And I pray, Father, uh, that, that I would simply uh, respond to the voice of your spirit in the years ahead as, as I do my best to lead this community with humility and integrity. And Father, I pray that as we continue weekly to to search your word for for the voice of the Spirit. As we listen for your voice, I pray that you would speak clearly because God, we are paying attention. And in my message today, I pray as I always do that I would simply disappear and that your Holy Spirit would remain so that we can hear your voice, nothing else, nothing more. Father, I pray all this in the name of Jesus who we serve. Amen. Amen. All right. So we're continuing our series, The Next Chapter, by doing something a little bit different. Dad spent three weeks looking back at kind of where grace has been and what grace has become. I want to spend the next three weeks looking at what grace is going to be, uh, to think a little bit about 
my vision for the future of grace and, and what I see coming in the days ahead. Not because I'm, I'm some upstart whippersnapper out to, you know, turn us into some wild new direction, but because where we are going, I believe, is, is thanks in large part to where we've already been. I'm going to talk about three ideas over these three weeks, which I believe are at the core of what makes grace, grace, both in the past and in the future. Next week, I'm going to talk about what I call the humble pursuit of truth, our approach to scripture, to listening to the spirit, to making sense of our world. In week three, I'm going to talk about grace being a refuge in the storm, how we practice loving our neighbors, how we welcome everyone, how, how we live up to our name as a place of grace. But today, I want to talk about an idea that I believe is, is not only at the very center of what drives our church, I believe it's at the very core of what it means to follow Jesus in the first place. If you got tired of hearing my dad talk about destiny all the time, well, get ready because you're about to get tired of hearing me talk about this. The topic for today is self-giving love. Self-giving love. Now, this is not a new concept. Uh, I, didn't, I didn't invent this word, these, this phrase. I didn't come up with it. it it's just a, a way of capturing what I think is the posture that every one of us is to take with one another and with the world as we follow Jesus. It's a posture of surrender, of, of sacrifice, and a posture of humility. It actually has a lot to do with what my dad preached about in his very first sermon, This Church Must Die. Surrender, uh, you know, uh, self-giving love, this is an act that, that is, a, is a kind of death of setting aside our own desires. Now, I thought about naming this sermon, uh, This Church Must Stay Dead, but that didn't seem totally appropriate. So I'm just going to keep with This Church Must Die and say, you know what, that's a pretty adequate way of describing what needs to happen at Grace Church for the next 29 years uh, as an organization. This church must die is a, is a way that encapsulates self-giving love in a, in a unique way. So we are called individually and corporately to surrender, to surrender our desires, to surrender our comfort, sometimes even our safety. You know, we talk about brave, not safe for the sake of God's mission and for the sake of one another. This church must die, self-giving love. Now, for me, this idea is expressed nowhere better than uh, in Scripture than in Philippians 2, one of my favorite passages. So why don't you turn there with me? Uh, turn to Philippians 2, starting in verse 1, uh, and we're going to talk about it. Before we do that, though, um, I want to announce something that pretty much has nothing to do with uh, Philippians, but I am doing something new. Uh, this coming Saturday, I am going to be doing a Twitch live stream uh, with this new game that's called Minecraft Dungeons. Now, if what I just said said to you makes absolutely no sense. This probably isn't for you because I'm actually trying to uh, connect with and reach out to our students and our children at Grace. And so this is a way for me to do kind of an ask me anything live stream where kids can log on, can ask me questions, we can talk as we play this game together and just kind of have a really good time. It's going to be funny and goofy and weird and I think it'll just be a great way to connect. So if you have kids or you know of kids uh, or students who would, who would be interested in watching this, please uh, send them on over to Twitch. My username is Barry Rod. So you could find me there. Uh, anyway, that's happening this coming Saturday, 10 a.m. on June 13th. I would love for you to be there if you can. And if you're not a kid, you're also welcome to watch. Uh, just uh, prepare for probably some really immature humor. Just kidding. It'll be, it'll be totally appropriate. Don't worry. Okay, so Philippians 2. Let's go ahead and get into this. 
Let me give you just a little bit of context. Uh, I've talked about Philippians in the past, but just to kind of refresh us and get us all on the same page, Philippi was a city in Greece that had become a Roman colony. Okay, it was a Roman colony and uh, the Apostle Paul wrote a letter to the church that had started there. Now, in Philippi and pretty much everywhere in the Roman Empire at the time, uh, being a Roman citizen was a very big deal. Okay, it was a big deal to look like a Roman and talk like a Roman and act like a Roman. That, that was a very important thing to everybody. But throughout this letter, throughout Philippians, Paul is basically saying, you know what? No, you're not a citizen of Rome anymore. You're a citizen of heaven. And because of that, here's what a citizen of heaven looks like and talks like and acts like as opposed to a citizen of Rome. Now, as we see in this letter, uh, in many ways, the behaviors and the actions that Paul describes for a citizen of heaven does not line up at all with some of the behaviors that, that a citizen of Rome is expected to exemplify. For example, in Rome, uh, Roman culture highly valued status and power and esteem. Not so much for citizens of heaven. Look at what Paul says in verse 1 of, of Philippians 2. He says, is there any encouragement from belonging to Christ? Any comfort from his love? Any fellowship together in the spirit? Are your hearts tender and compassionate? Then make me truly happy by agreeing wholeheartedly with each other, loving one another and working together with one mind and purpose. Don't be selfish. Don't try to impress others. Be humble, thinking of others as better than yourselves. Don't look out only for your own interests, but take an interest in others too. And this is the key verse. You must have the same attitude that Christ Jesus had. Though he was God, he did not think of equality with God as something to cling to. Instead, he gave up his divine privileges. He took a, the humble position of a slave and he was born as a human being. When he appeared in human form, he humbled himself in obedience to God and he died a criminal's death on a cross. Therefore, God elevated him to the place of highest honor and gave him the name above all other names that at the name of Jesus, every knee would bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue declare that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Okay, so that's a pretty profound passage. We could probably spend weeks and weeks and weeks digging into all of what Paul says here. Uh, but put simply, Paul's basically saying that, look, our relationships with one another, if we're going to be uh, followers of Jesus, then a, a citizen of heaven, we need to have the same attitude, the same posture as Jesus. Now, that, of course, is not particularly shocking. It's not something that we're blown away. Whoa, Paul said that? We should be like Jesus? No, of course Jesus should be our example, right? You know, love your neighbor, turn the other cheek. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We, we, you know, we get that. But, but when you uh, start looking at what he's actually implying here, this whole ask that Paul is making gets a little bit more intense, maybe a lot more intense. L let me explain. Look at verse eight. Look at verse eight. So, okay, we're supposed to have the same attitude as Christ. The, the son of God who gave up his divine privileges, who appeared in human form. And then look, look at verse eight. And then who humbled himself. He humbled himself and died on a cross. Now, okay, in our culture, humbling yourself, that seems admirable, right? Because we think of humility as a virtue. But in ancient Rome, it was anything but. In, in Roman culture, everything depended on you having status, if you were humbled, 
It was because someone else humbled you. It, was, it meant that you were defeated in battle or you were publicly shamed or you were enslaved, right? Humility it wasn't a virtue, it was a curse. It might make sense for us to think more about this word as uh, what we would think of as humiliate, not just humble, but humiliate. Jesus humiliated himself on that cross. And again, no one did that to him. Again, look at verse eight, Jesus humiliated, he humbled himself. That meant that he set aside his own status, his own, his own life, all the privileges that came with his divinity. He put that aside for the sake of us, for you and for me. His love for humanity was self-giving, self-giving love. And that is the attitude that we are supposed to have. That's how, in verse four, that's how we are supposed to take an interest in others' needs above our own. In verse three, it's, it's not being selfish, right? And maybe most provocative of all, thinking of others as better than ourselves. Thinking of others as better than ourselves, that is an uncomfortable idea. It really is, if you really think about it. Last year during Hope Month, if you remember during Hope Month, I was preaching about issues around racism and discrimination and hatred, right? And I used this passage as the foundation for that. I argued in those messages that all of us, but especially those of us in the majority culture, need to practice setting aside our status, lowering ourselves and considering others as better than ourselves. And I got pushback from that. I did. I had people saying, whoa, 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 Barry, hold on, hold on. Isn't equality the goal here? Isn't that, that the goal, equality? We're not supposed to think of others as better than us. We're supposed to be equal. That's not fair. <laughs> and I was like, I don't know what to tell you. I mean, I, here, look, just re read this. I'm not making this up, right? That was all I had. And, and yet people had pushback on that because this, this is not a comfortable thing to consider. And yet look at Philippians 2 verse 5. We must have the same attitude that Christ Jesus had. And he humbled, he humiliated himself for others. He literally died for us. That is an attitude of complete self-sacrifice. That should be our attitude. I mean, Jesus said it himself. He said, if any of you wants to be my follower, if you want to follow me, you must give up your own way, set aside your own interests, and then you must take up your cross, an instrument of death, and follow me. That's what self-giving love looks like. My point in all of this is that we, as a church, as Grace Church, we are not called to be nice to each other. I mean, yeah, sure, we should do that, but we're not called to be a, a, a you know, a friendly community. No, we are called to be a sacrificial community a community where we willingly lower ourselves for one another in self-giving love. This church must die. Now, again, I'm not saying anything that's new, okay? This is not a new idea for Grace Church. We have been working on this since the very beginning, since our very first days as a church. We've been, think about this, led, in my opinion, by leaders, by pastors and elders and, and uh, volunteers and staff who, who lead with humility and authenticity, not power and success. Self-giving love. When the uh, Iron Curtain fell in the 90s, 
And we had an opportunity to go and share the gospel in the former Soviet Union. You know what we didn't do? We didn't just send a bunch of money to far off missionaries. No, our own people went. A hundred people stepped up and said they'd be a part of the movement and 20 grace people disrupted their lives and their careers and they moved to Russia. It's crazy. From the very earliest days as a church, we've developed these, these rich international partnerships where we as Americans came as learners, not as saviors. We lowered ourselves to elevate the voices of leaders in the developing world. And come on, more, most recently, we created the Care Center. If you've been a part of the Care Center, you know that, that we serve our friends not as charity cases, not a bit. We serve them as our brothers and our sisters. As we serve them, we consider them better than ourselves. It is self-giving love and we've been doing it since the beginning. By the way, real quick aside, but we, as we are entering into this, this summer, this new uh, phase of the pandemic, and as uh, restrictions are starting to ease, we are now opening up the care center for more volunteer opportunities. If you want to take this real seriously and, and join us in working at the care center, you can now do that. So go on our website and you can sign up. I just wanted you to be aware. We're still asking you to take things real seriously, uh, to keep your distancing, and we're going to be very, very careful in the way that we serve, but you can now serve in the care center again if you want to join us in that way. Okay. We haven't always done this whole self-giving love thing perfectly. I mean, come on, we are comfort-loving, safety-prioritizing, individualistic suburban Americans. So we have a long way to go before we start to realize the vision of communal self-sacrifice that Paul talks about here. But I believe that we are well on our way. We are learning how to do this. Our heart is in the right place as an organization. From day one, we've been aspiring to be a church that dies so that others may live. A church that sets aside our power, that sets aside our status and our wealth and our comfort to show our broken world what the love of Jesus is really all about. So, what is that going to look like in the days ahead? How is this this, uh, idea of self-giving love going to express itself in what's coming? Where is God leading us? Well, let me tell you what I believe is on the horizon, where, where I believe God is taking us now. First of all, I believe that we are going to become more multi-generational than ever before. Our world, our culture is awakening to just how hollow it is to spend all of your time with people your exact same life stage, right? It, it, it stunts your development and your growth to be with only people who are just like you. If we want our world to experience true healing, if we want our world to see what what community actually means, then we need to start practicing self-giving love with one another across the generations. Look, those of us who are younger, we need to get over ourselves a little bit. Maybe a lot. We need to get over ourselves and we need to start listening to and learning from our elders. Okay, we have to do that. But those of us who are older, Those of us who are older, at the same time, we need to start stepping back and and becoming mentors, lifting up the next generation to lead. We both have work to do. No, it's not comfortable. This is not comfortable. It is way more fun to hang out with people who are just like us. But if we want to practice self-giving love, if we want this church to die in the way that I've talked about, if we want to model our lives after Jesus, then guess what? 
we've got to dedicate ourselves to this idea. We've got to, to have volunteer teams and life groups and communities made up of people from all life stages. Spiritual family, not just church clubs. Spiritual family. So I believe we're on the way for that. We've already begun it in many ways. I think we are going to become more multi-generational. I also think that we are going to become more multicultural. I've talked about this before, but we, I believe, are at a turning point in human history where different cultures and ethnicities and nationalities are connecting and interacting globally like never before. Even here in central Indiana, you may not believe it, but it's true. Just look at our elementary schools where dozens of languages are spoken, where American students from white and black and Latino and Asian communities are learning side by side. Generation Z, that's the generation that comes right after millennials. They are being raised in, in the most diverse time in history. They don't know anything other than a radically diverse society. That's their world. That's their mindset. Well, we, Grace Church, we are positioned to be a church that reflects that diversity. Not because it's politically correct. Listen to me when I say this. Not, not because it's trendy, but because a rich multicultural community reflects the diversity of the kingdom of God. And it brings all the gifts of Christ's church to bear in our broken world. Rather than having them all be expressed in little pockets. A diverse community. Now this is going to take self-giving love. This is going to take humility. Take it from me. I've spent years living in the other countries and in other cultures. And I got to tell you, cross-cultural work is no joke. It's hard. It's hard. But let me also take, take this from me as well. It's worth it. It is worth it. We have so much to learn from one another. And guess what? When we start to do this and, and, and work together with one mind and purpose, as Paul says in Philippians 2, well, that is when our church becomes strong. That is when the gates of hell can't stand against us. That's when our mission kicks into high gear and we see our world healing like never before. Finally, if we can commit as a church to practicing self-giving love, well, then I think we are going to continue to grow in genuine compassion when our world needs it most. As a case in point, the black community in our country right now, including in, here at Grace Church, is in anguish. Decades and centuries of injustice have boiled over into absolute despair at the killing of George Floyd. And we know that was just a spark. And yet, how have so many in our country responded to this anguish? With defensiveness, right? With finger pointing, with demonization. Well, not here. Not at Grace Church. In Philippians 2, Paul asks, is there any fellowship together in the Spirit? Are your hearts tender and compassionate? Because those are characteristics, right? Of self-giving love. We will be a church that grows in the compassion we have for the suffering of others. I want to say this to the, to the black community, especially those of you who are a part of Grace Church, our spiritual family. Let me speak on, the, on behalf of the rest of us. We acknowledge your pain. We acknowledge the injustice and the oppression that you have faced and you continue to face. And we acknowledge your grief right now. We cannot bear it for you. We can't bear this grief, but we will bear it with you. We will lament and grieve at your side. 
and we will give of ourselves to bring justice into this world. Not through flash in the pan gestures that make us feel better, but with decades of compassionate, self-giving work to make things right. Now, I know some of you think those are just words because you've heard those words and words like them many times before, but all I can tell you is this. As the senior pastor of Grace Church, my heart's desire is to dedicate myself and this church to compassionate justice in the name of Jesus. We will be a church of self-giving love now more than ever. 